Hi, this is Graham. Welcome to this second podcast on the subject of zest. On the previous one, we got into talking about how an organization should respond to people who actually don't embrace it and become dissident. I wanted to say a little bit more about the positive upside of zest and just talk a little bit more about the behaviors and the mindsets and the characteristics which are typical of this fantastic high performance way of being. There are three major areas that uh, zest expresses itself in. Those are positivity, resilience and confidence. So I want to talk very briefly about each of them. Positivity is massively closely connected to happiness. In recent work that's been looking at trying to distinguish the characteristics of happiness from the characteristics of positivity, it turns out that it's extremely challenging to be able to do so. So if you think in terms of a Venn diagram, the overlap between positivity and happiness is is really considerable. They suspect it's going to turn out to be pretty complete. But there are three aspects of happiness which get reflected beautifully in the idea of positivity. You know, when we're working with people to improve their happiness, we ask them to undertake exercises to make sure that they have positive emotions in relation to three aspects of their lives, their past, the present, and their future. So I thought it would be quite interesting to adopt that idea in deepening our understanding of what genuine positivity really means. So if you think about positivity about the past, I think for a lot of people this is the most challenging thing to be able to bring about because what it means is that we have to be able to see the whole of the context of our previous life in a positive light. And by the time you've been on the planet for a few decades, most people have got things which it's very challenging to interpret as as positive. So a lot of the effort that's that's required in terms of bringing about genuinely positive feelings about the past is the sort of thing that uh, professional therapists get heavily involved in helping people who've had some sort of trauma deal with. And there, there are, in the part two of New Impetus, there are a couple of techniques, and I'm thinking in particular uh, about memory detox, uh, which are there to help us improve how we feel about things that have happened to us in the past. I'm also thinking about techniques that uh, we teach in relation to gratitude and in relation to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very is very much thought of by psychologists as an internal act. So if you're forgiving somebody who's made you unhappy in the past, you're doing that privately and secretly for yourself as a way of getting out from under the negative influence that the memories of whatever happened and went wrong have brought to you. So finding a way of reframing things that have happened to you in the past so that you can bring a positive point of view towards it makes a very important contribution to delivering genuine positivity in the present tense because the things that have happened to us in the past are continuously popping back into our mind and they are informing the way that we perceive current events. So if a person has a lot of negative experiences or a lot of experiences about which they have negative feelings for the past, that negativity is constantly being brought into the present tense and changing 
how we are experiencing what's going on in our current life. A person who has a lot of negative stuff in their past finds it more difficult than somebody with a lot of positive stuff in their past to interpret current events in a positive light. And as we all know, it is not the nature of an event itself which determines how we experience it. It is how we perceive the nature of that event that determines how a human being actually experiences it. So finding ways of, if you like, tidying up our memories of our past life so that we can bring genuine positivity towards it is a big part of making sure that our current efforts and our future efforts to increase our own positivity are going to be supported, improved and strengthened by how we feel about our past life rather than undermined by that. If we then think about the second time frame, which is positivity in the present, this, I guess, is the one that we are mostly familiar with. We know that a positive person is always going to be looking at the upside, going to be looking at the seeds of opportunity and success amongst the shards of something that hasn't worked out. A positive person not only projects positivity in that way. However, they also consume positivity because they are primed towards seeing the positive in every situation. So people who are genuinely positive are not in stasis. They're actually in this vibrant, dynamic relationship with their environment whereby they are pushing out positivity to other people and into situations and also they are gathering positivity from what's going on around them because as we've said on many occasions in our talks together genuinely positive people simply notice more of the positives going on around them in life because of the fact that their unconscious expectations are that the world is going to present them with a lot of positives so if you like they're primed for that so that they will preferentially notice the stuff going on in the world which is positive all people notice all the stuff that's dangerous, notice all the stuff that's very strong stimulus, notice all the stuff that's really important. The positive people notice more of, the, if you like, the secondary events um, that are positive than people who are negative. So that's how it operates in the present tense. And in the, in the future tense, being positive about the future, which is the third one, is almost a word-for-word -word definition of optimism. Optimism is positivity about the future. Optimism is also defined as happiness about the future. Optimism is nothing more and nothing less than expecting positive outcomes. So there you have a slightly expanded definition of positivity against which we can each of us evaluate our own experience of our mindset and say, well, is there something in my positivity about my past, about the present, or about the future that I can further improve? And if you identify something like that, you will find you get massive returns out of changing the conditioning that you allow into your brain, which will actually produce the outcomes we're going to talk about. I'll touch on that again a little bit later. So that was one of the trilogy ideas I wanted to give about positivity. And another one is that when we're talking about zest, and we say it's got these three aspects, positivity, resilience, and confidence. The three particular aspects of positivity I want to talk about are positivity and optimism, which we've covered. And the third one is motivation. Okay. So one of the 
major benefits of being in a positive emotional state is that our level of motivation is at its highest. So one of the ways that highly positive people can be distinguished from others is by looking at their motivation. Very positive people have high levels of motivation much more often than other people. It's one of the reasons why positive people achieve more of their own potential in life. There's a myriad of studies which demonstrate that whether you're talking about health or income or relationships or goal setting and achievement or a whole range of other things, positive people do better. One of the reasons they do better is because their motivation is higher and that motivation then feeds into the persistence that they bring to the pursuit of their own, own goals, which is also involved in resilience, which we're now coming on to. So when you're thinking about positivity, think about past, present and future. Think about positivity itself, think about optimism and think about motivation. If you can find any areas there where you want to strengthen it, you'll get great rewards from doing so. Okay, let's talk now briefly about resilience. So when most people talk about resilience, they think about the ability to push through events that aren't positive, to push through potential setbacks, to maintain their momentum towards an outcome that they're working towards, to maintain their emotional state without being deflected from it. And that is for sure a large part of what we, what we mean by resilience. We mean the ability to make sure that we are going to be able to maintain our course without our purpose or our emotional state or our beliefs in our ability to get where we need to go, whether it's in the short term or long term, without that being deflected from, reduced, diminished, or indeed turned off entirely by potential barriers, potential setbacks, my blows, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we encounter as we move through life. That's definitely one aspect of it. A second aspect of it is grit. A lot of work's being done on grit in the positive psychology movement over the last five or ten years, um, particularly by a brilliant academic called Angela Duckworth. Grit is the ability to sustain interest and effort towards your long-term goals. That's very much a part of resilience, and it's very much part of what is delivered to people when they spend large amounts of time in positive emotional states. You know, the reason that we fate zest so much in New Impetus, the reason why we put so much emphasis on zest and we have always tried to bring more zest into the lives of, of everybody that we work with is because it gives great advantages in terms of quality of life and in terms of our outcomes in life. And part of the reason from that is that resilience is closely related to grit. And it's obvious, isn't it? If you manage to sustain your interest and you manage to sustain your effort towards goals that are important to you, and you're much more likely to get them. And not only that, you're much more likely to have a good time while you're doing this journey. The third element of resilience that I want to talk about is emotional stability. It has massive implications for our relationships, 
whether we're talking home or work, our effectiveness as an influencer on other people in sales, in leadership, in team membership, in family relationships. Somebody who's highly resilient in this, in this way, somebody who's highly emotionally stable in this way, will maintain their positive emotional state in the face of influences which would deflect other people and turn them from feeling happy, confident, excited and energetic into somebody who's feeling discouraged, depressed or what have you. When you are deflected from a positive emotional state into a negative emotional state by some ghastly thing, or some, whether it's mild or massive, that's happened or cropped up in your life, what happens is that you fall out of a high performance state and drop into a low performance state. And you'll remember the acronym CREAM for creativity, resilience, emotional intelligence, analytical reading skills, and motivation, all of which are negatively impacted when we drop out of a positive state into a negative one. So emotional stability is a massively important part of resilience. And indeed, in the previous Zest podcast, I was talking about the impact on the effectiveness of a person's leadership. If they are prone to emotional hijack, they're prone to, they're not emotionally stable, so they're prone to actually drop out of resonance with their followers into dissonance, and how 5% of that in a lifetime will undermine the 95% of good. So we have these three aspects of resilience, pushing through setbacks, showing grit and sustaining effort and interest towards our goals and emotional stability so that we are able to maintain ourselves in high performance states which in turn means that our ability to influence others is maximized and then the third aspect of zest that i wanted to talk about is confidence confidence is one of the most universally sought after improvements in individual mindset that we ever come across. And there are three aspects of confidence that I want to draw our attention towards. The first is, is perhaps the, the one that we most commonly think of when we think about personal confidence, and it is our faith in ourselves. Confidence is our belief in our ability to be the person that we want to be, to achieve the things that we've set ourselves to achieve, to deliver the things for other people that we have chosen to seek in our lives. Confidence is our faith in our ability to handle all of our responsibilities, to handle all of the situations that we're likely to be confronted by, or in particular, our faith in our ability to handle the current situation that we find ourselves in right now. People who have enormous faith in their ability to deal with those things spend little time, of course, worrying about, thinking about, being distracted by thoughts on whether or not they are going to be able to pull this thing off, whether or not they're going to be comfortable, effective, pleasant, likeable, make a positive contribution in this situation. They don't think about whether those things are going to result. They don't even think about how they're going to achieve those things. People with the right level of confidence simply get on with doing what needs to be done and their attention is focused outwards. It's focused towards other people rather than themselves. That's the aspect of confidence we think of most often. The one that not everybody thinks of quite so often is the relationship between confidence and self-esteem. 
you know, we're used to thinking of confidence as one of the expressions of self-esteem. You know, high self-esteem drives high levels of confidence. Low self-esteem undermines confidence and indeed drives compensation behaviors like defensive aggression and like arrogance. But confidence also plays a big role in building our own self-esteem. It's, if you like, it's one of those positively reinforcing virtuous circles that we talk about in when we're looking at the subject of how human behavior and mindset is conditioned into us. A confident person is generating conditioning, which is building their self-esteem throughout. And this is why confident people are much more open to hearing feedback which is corrective and accepting such feedback on the merit of the argument that's being put forth towards them. It's why people who have high levels of confidence are much more open than other people because they are happy to expose themselves to other people's scrutiny because they have faith in themselves. It's why people with great confidence are much better judges of what they're capable and what they're not, so that they will put themselves forward for roles, projects, relationships, which people with less confidence may turn away from. One of the ways of assessing our own confidence is to look at how we approach situations that we would like to get involved with, but we are feeling less than fully confident in our ability to get involved, so we turn away from them perhaps, or we delay getting involved, because we do not have that faith in our own self that we will be well received and effective. And that brings me very naturally into the third aspect of confidence I wanted to touch upon, which is bravery and courage. Being brave enough to push back appropriately, whether we're pushing back appropriately to our partner, or to somebody at work, a boss or a, or a colleague. How often do we hear of people who don't do that because they, they don't have the bravery to actually push back, to stand up for themselves, to say the things that they're bursting to say, but are lacking confidence in their ability to say that perhaps without becoming emotional, or perhaps they don't have the confidence that they will be able to say it in a way which is appropriate and which will be well received. You know, if you're a leader listening to this, you'll be very aware of the fact that the people you value most uh, include those people who will always tell you the stuff that you need to be told. You know, one of the classic cliches about being a chief executive, chief executive disease, you know, never being given any information, people too afraid to uh, give you any news that isn't good and exciting, which leads to chief executives in that situation having a very distorted view of what's going on. Well, it's the same for a teen leader as well. In any situation where you've got a leader and followers, then it's much more easy to be an effective leader and help make your contribution towards delivering goals for the whole team if you actually know what's going on. And that requires the people that are membership of the team to have the the bravery, the confidence to actually tell you what's going on without demurring from that because they can't find uh, the courage to do that. One meets a lot of uh, people professionally who come up with this phrase, yeah, I can't handle conflict or I'm not comfortable with conflict. Conflict's a very interesting word. Conflict primes us for negative outcomes. You know, not every situation where a human being 
has something to say to another human being which is corrective or which seeks to change their opinion or which actually puts forward a point of view which is not the same as the point of view that the other person holds. Not all of those interactions are about conflict. And one of the dangers about telling yourself that you don't handle conflict well is that you start to think of any interaction with another human being which is not about agreement. So any form of debate, we start to think of it unconsciously as conflict as potential conflict, and so we move away from it. All of that is helped in a situation where we have the, the confidence to find our courage so that we are more comfortable in a situation where we're taking a different position, a different point of view from the other one who's involved in the exchange with us. So we have confidence then, which is a combination of those three things. It's about self-esteem, it's about faith in oneself, and it's about courage. So if we come back to where we started, this podcast is about expanding our ideas and understanding of what we mean when we talk about zest. Zest is a combination of positivity, resilience, and confidence. And that means positive, optimistic, motivated, emotionally stable people with grit and resilience who are brave, have high self-esteem, faith in themselves, and consequently have a lot of confidence. Now that's a wonderful mindset. It's a wonderful set of behaviors, which has been shown time again to deliver lots and lots of positive outcomes. So the whole question then becomes, fine, Graham, please, how do we do that? And we do that by focusing on the inputs. Positivity, resilience, confidence, zest, in other words, is not something you can feign. It's not something you can fake. It's not something that you can put on in the hope that it will become real. This is not one of those occasions where fake it till you make it actually is going to contribute massively towards your life. This is a situation where we need to let go of the outcomes, which is the zest itself, and we need to focus entirely on the things that deliver those outcomes, which is the inputs. So it's very straightforward. If you want to have more zest, you need to make sure that the balance of your conditioning, everything that you experience in life, read, listen to, watch, conversation, people, make sure that the balance of your conditioning is positive. Ideally, 75% positive. I recognize that's not automatic and easy to achieve. Of course not. Like many things that are well worth having, there's a lot of effort required to achieve that balance. But it's about PIPO, P-I-P-O. Positives in, positives out. When you make sure that the predominant majority of conditioning you allow into your brain is positive, your zest will build and grow and manifest in all aspects of your life. Look forward to talking to you next time. Until then, my sincere best wishes for everything you're working to achieve.